0: The world of story has captivated humanity since the dawn of time. The oldest known form of communication, verbal storytelling is responsible for the continuity and development of civilization from its most primitive moments to its most advanced. Story involves a sense of mystical wonder, but is also a powerful medium for communicating real and concrete ideas that shape people's lives and make them take action. Steve Schramm, marketer, non-fiction writer, and story nerd, and Alex Jagir, fiction writer, wannabe game designer, and story nerd, join forces as worlds collide to discuss how story is the most powerful concept ever known, and how it interacts with each and every aspect of our lives, from the most magical to the most mundane. Well, hey there, welcome into another episode of Story World. Steve Schramm here with my boy Al. What's up, dude?
1: Uh, well, I just got back from a uh, excellent Mexican dinner with a good old pal of mine, and uh, yeah. boy, boy was it good! It was
0: so good. That pollo man, mm. ooh, ooh. makes me want Definitely. to go
1: back right now.
0: Right? Yeah. You said you said during dinner that you could literally eat it every day, and I totally I agree. It. I, 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 I really think
1: I could. Absolutely, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing, especially well, after going all day without eating, and then the
0: right, times. yeah, Not that out. omad life, yeah, dude. Same here. I did after I did I did uh, after I after my exercise because uh, today was leg day, nice. so right before church and after my exercise, I had a little snack to kind of help hold me over because I didn't want to have a headache. So I did that, yeah, but otherwise, thanks. that was my only meal. So, good. gotcha, good. So uh, today's episode is all about uh, fiction. And I'm excited to talk about this. We're going to kind of talk through, you know, is it a, is it a time waster? Is, does it just like suck your life away uh, if you get enthralled by fiction? Or is it, uh, is it something that is, is beneficial? And I'm going to kick it over to Alex, but, but I actually have a quick little story <laughs> uh, about this um, to, um, to, to kick us off. So my wife's been having some trouble uh, sleeping. And, I you know, I suggested to her, you know, because she used to read a lot and she hasn't done it in a while. And so I suggested that, you know, she download some books on the Kindle or whatever, because some people, you know, find it helpful to actually go to sleep. This is Mm -hmm. something that could be arguably be beneficial, right? Um, You actually can can read in that sort of, especially if you're using like a, you know, an e-paper device or something like that, it might be easier on your eyes. And so a lot of people like to go to sleep uh, by first reading a little bit, and then that sort of helps them go to sleep. Well, I, I suggested that to her. She bought some books, started to do it. And instead of going to sleep, it has made her insomnia worse because she literally could put the books <laughs> down and read through like whatever. Like she like three books of this of this series in the course of uh, you know, just a, a week or two. So anyway, that that plan kind of backfired. So what say you, Alex? Time waster, beneficial, let's let's kick this off.
1: That's a good story. Um so, uh, I mean, for me, you're asking the guy who just loves fiction. And so, gee, I wonder what my answer is going to be, yeah. I, I will take a little roundabout approach to it though. So it, it's funny when we do think about it, it seems like kind of, you can almost with any type of spectrum, whether it's uh political or religious or anything else, you kind of have your two ends of the spectrum where you have some people where all they do is read, all they do is talk about what they read. And even for me. I have a hard time talking to those people because I kind of just say, "Hey, get your head out of the book a little bit. Let's talk about some real life stuff." And on the other hand, you have people who it's hard to kind of spark any type of um, creativeness out of, or just talking about something fun, or even joking around and making some like lighthearted jokes about just anything that is a little bit untrue or in the realm of fictionality, and it's kind of hard to associate with those people too, and so. Obviously those are kind of extremes and something fits in the middle. Probably none of those sides are very healthy, at least a hundred percent. You probably should get your nose out of a book every once in a while, or you probably actually should read a book every once in a while. So obviously it's kind of a, a broad spectrum of things. So I kind of, um, uh, before I get into my nitty gritty, I kind of want to hear from you, Steve on kind of where you personally might fit in that spectrum for you, as far as how you've gotten introduced to reading fiction or wanting to get into fiction and just kind of uh, your introduction to getting into that side of things.
0: Yeah. No, that's good. So I really love the way you laid that out. I I have ignored fiction for most of my life, right? So obviously I was a kid. My mom read to me. We've actually talked about that before. Uh, You know, my mom did read to me a lot, and so I enjoyed it then. And of course, like most people, uh, I watch movies and TV shows. Uh, you know, I love Star Trek, which is arguably prophecy, not fiction. Uh, <laughs> but but most would say that it's fiction, so I guess I'll have to go along with them. Yeah. Um. And uh. So so I the problem is w- once I got to the point of being in a position where I would have to make the choice to read fiction for myself, right? So I'm not counting you know, mom's reading to me or I'm forced to read a particular book to do a book report in school, you know, not counting those things. I really never chose fiction for the majority of my life. And honestly, that just became, you know, it's it's like when I got into high school, I got it like that's when that time really arose for me is when I would have made that choice for myself. And that's when band came in and music took over my life. And after music, you know, I mean, music took over my life for quite a long time probably a little over a decade. Um, and then when that phased out, business came in and that has occupied my time uh, until basically now. And um, when I got into business, I very much got into nonfiction reading, uh, started out with reading books about weight loss. Cause I wanted to learn how to, to sort of turn my life around from that regard. So I started there. Then I started reading books about uh, theology and philosophy and starting to learn more about that sort of thing. And that, and, and then, of course, once I got into business, well, that opened up a whole new world of reading lots about uh, business and, and marketing and things like that. And so, you know, I mean, of course, like, again, I interacted with fiction in movies and TV shows, but, but even so, like, not as much as a lot of other people do. And so I really, I, I guess I can say that I lost my appreciation for fiction, honestly, for quite some time. And, and, um, it is, I'm only now sort of, rediscovering it and thanks to you to be honest uh you know it's thanks to conversations that we have had um you know that even led to doing this podcast and, and those sorts of things that uh, that really brought fiction back into my life as something that I choose now even today just to be honest I still struggle with you know it, it feels like it's actually a really good topic it, it feels like a time waster okay so this so this is my issue is if I'm If I have time to read a book, I've got 400 unread books on my Kindle, something crazy, some crazy number like that. At any given time, I have 400 books that I have not finished that I have either started or they're totally unread. Uh, The vast majority, by which I mean like if there's there's 400 even, I've got 398, you know, nonfiction and maybe two fiction, something like that. And uh, it just always seems like the right choice is to read the uh, nonfiction, right? The fiction feels like a time waster in that in that moment. And so I'm still learning to choose fiction in, instead of instead of nonfiction. Um, another thing, you know, pertinent to the question that you asked is I find that it tends to be different kinds of people. Now, this is not—I'm I'm, going to make a statement that might sound controversial. Um, and as a blanket statement, it's I think it's true, though. Now, maybe what it means, different people might interpret, but I'm just going to tell you what I mean, because this is partly my podcast. And so I get to do that. <laughs> and, and so typically, typically, you mentioned how you've got people on different sides of the spectrum, some people engrossed in fiction, other people um, really engrossed in the real world. You know, maybe only certain people kind of get that delicate balance. Um, Again, this is not going to apply to everybody, but as a broad generalization, I think you tend to see the fictional types, the people who are buried in fiction, I think you tend to see those people to be more sort of progressive ideologically. And people who read a lot of fiction, or excuse me, a lot of nonfiction, uh, seem to be, again, broad spectrum, a little bit more conservative um ideologically and so again i'm not necessarily going to speculate on what that means but it's interesting to me that books that are not really about what's going on in the real world you know they're more imaginative maybe a little more colorful a little more creative those sort of lend themselves to the types who who think more progressively uh versus the nonfiction, the books that deal with the the stuff the now uh a lot of uh, you know i would say a you know, those people tend the people who focus on that stuff tend to have a more almost realistic mindset, a mindset that deals with things in reality. They're a little bit more conservative maybe because they, they maybe understand things about how, how history, you know, worked and progressed. So again, I'm making some generalizations, but those are just the observations based on the question that you asked me.
1: Interesting. It, I, I love this podcast, Steve. <laughs> I, uh, it, it, I, I know that's a change of kind of piece, but, uh, I just love how literally Steve and I tonight got together. We went out to eat. And then after the dinner, we said, so what are we going to talk about tonight? And we said, I don't know. We'll figure out later. So we came here, lifted up, listed off our topics. And we saw, oh, fiction, a time waster beneficial. Well, we, we should have stuff to talk about there. And then we just listed it down. It it's, it's great how, um, throughout this whole ordeal I have come to realize even more so how important um the marketing in business and um selling yourself and everything is and how important that is and at the same token how you see that incorporating some type of fictional flair or um you know seeing the value in that and so it's just uh just really cool but so to kind of continue on uh what you were saying it, it is kind of Obviously that, um, yeah, the stereotype kind of what you said is, is it painting with a broad broad brush, but just looking at you and me, you and I are, I would say, you know, 90% or whatever, very similar minded in our worldview and how we think about things. You know, we're pretty, I would say we're very fairly aligned, but then just with not anything drastic, but just some simple stuff. I tend to be a little bit more, what's the word not open, but a little bit kind of Goosey goosey with just kind of some fun stuff and letting go I, yeah you're, you're creative I wouldn't necessarily say creativity but um uh just kind of how it is and so yeah I I, I can yeah. kind of see how even just a little tendency with kind of the the fictional um side of things people tend yeah. to kind of get their heads in the clouds a little bit and you know a, a little bit more leaning towards that type that's a kind of interesting observation
0: yeah I never really thought about it before but I do yeah. I, I do I think it's true now there's obviously you know, there's counterexamples, of course. Yeah, that's I'm not clear. my point. Of yeah. course, you know, but, but I think, you know, broad brush out. What does it mean? Huh, I don't know, but that's why we're talking about it. That's why we're talking <laughs> about it.
1: Stephen, I don't know anything, so we're just saying <laughs> stuff. We're just blabbing yeah. it. Um, yeah. So kind of going to my initial thoughts on it, I'm going to kind of start with the negative approach where I actually, I think you might have touched on it a little bit, but I, I do see some negativity with fiction. Um And I'll explain. So I kind of look at it again, painting with a broad brush, but we don't have time to get onto the stats and nuances and doing research. Um, So I would say, broadly speaking, two kinds of people say there's someone who's either invested in their work or goes on their job and comes home and their hobby is sports or playing video games, you know, just really, casual sports they're happy with just having fun on the side not really motivated to start their own business or you know get into writing like a research paper and and that all that's fine i'm just saying just that's just broadly speaking one type of person and for that person like that i can see how simply street um speaking as a fun hobby fiction is just extremely beneficial just as something to enjoy you go home and you might watch um you might watch you know just a show that you're into maybe uh it's the new kenobi series coming up or or something else and you just have fun you know with your kids or with your spouse or even by yourself and just relax um at that at that point i don't really see fiction as a time waster. obviously if it's taking up time from like other important things like spending time with your kids or something then yes but just on the face surface of it um the beneficiality of it is you know is enjoying your time and, and enjoying what people have created and, you know, enjoying art and what's been presented to you now on the more on the flip side, where you have someone kind of specifically speaking to your line of work too, but especially someone who, uh, like me or anyone else who really wants to focus on fiction, storytelling and whatever medium that is, um, how fiction actually can be a, a, a very very much so a time waster and, uh, it really it comes down to productivity and spending less time being productive on your own things and being sucked into the things that you want to do. And I think we have all, mm-hmm. all have been there and especially me, and it's been really tough for me in life where not so much shows every once in a while, a show, but for me, it's mostly, uh, books or a very, uh, well-made, um, video game with intricate storytelling, Where. It's so easy to get sucked into, um, just being involved in, in that. And even though that can be beneficial from learning from it for, and giving you ideas on what you want to write and what you want to take from it, it can absolutely drain out all of your time and at some point, the beneficial, the benefits of, um, being invested into those fictional stories, whether it's reading or playing a video game or a show or a movie, um, ends up inhibiting you and in your time and taking away from your time and actually producing what you want to. So that kind of shifts the gear a little bit on fiction itself. Uh, I would think is beneficial, but from someone who actually wants to be productive and do something with it, it can definitely be, um, unproductive and very unbeneficial for someone like that. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, you know, I I agree. It's interesting you say that too, because, uh, you know, I think this cuts both ways. I mean, I I see this in myself, frankly, uh, on the nonfiction side. So an example of that is I I mean this this podcast is just one example of um of lots of content that I like to produce. You know, I mentioned in um in a, a previous episode that I'm starting to do a lot more written uh, blog content now and sort of shifting away from some of the podcast stuff for uh. You know, data-driven strategic reasons, and also some also, also some gut and emotional reasons, and um, and, and so it, <laughs> it's really interesting. I've got a you know on the nonfiction side, um, and we're not talking about nonfiction, but but I'm going to try to tie okay. this up here. Um, you know, I've got a book that I've been working on for you know a year and a half, two years now, um, that we've talked about before. Uh, for my ministry, it's another, it's another, uh, it's a book called, uh, at least the working title is How to Love the Bible. And um, I'm like, I'm like a chapter, or maybe no, I know I might have finished the last chapter. I'm like a conclusion away or something mm-hmm. from, uh, from like getting this finished, getting this in the hands of some people to read, getting this, you know, reading back through it myself for proofreading okay. purposes and, and making edits and, and such. And then, of course, on the on the business side, there's lots of stuff I want to write about. Uh, but I, I I can't help but find myself being drawn back into YouTube mm. to watch other people talk mm. about what they're creating. And for some reason, I don't know if it's, you know, what the dopamine hit is, but in the time that I spend watching other people talk about what they're creating, I could have created lots of mm. my own stuff. And so... Uh I, I think I think what I want to do is I want to say, yeah, I agree with you that fiction can be a time waster in that way. Uh I would just like to also say that that, yeah, that knife cuts both ways. I mean, it, it actually mm-hmm. that that yeah. same sort of thing can apply to, you know, doing work in the nonfiction uh realm as well. And so maybe a, a good thing to sort of, you know, tie that together and 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 put a pin on that piece of it is just you, you know, when you decide that it's important to you to be a producer versus mm-hmm. just a consumer. You do need to be really intentional about that, about that balance because pr- production is what makes the world go around. You know, guys, guys like us who are doing this podcast and, and stuff like we're, I mean, it, it sounds kind of cheesy, right? Cause we're a small time, you know, whatever, but like, you know we're advancing knowledge. I mean, I don't think we would be doing this just. I mean, yeah, sure, it's, it's really fun to talk to you about this yes. balance, but we don't have to do it with, with the record button pressed, right? Uh, mm-hmm. We could just we could just do this over dinner um, or or whatever. But instead, we're, we're trying to advance knowledge, and so we're trying to do something in the world, and that's because fundamentally we're producers and not just consumers. And so I think. We have to, and a borrowing uh, from Atlas Shrugged, there. If anybody catches that reference, uh, in, in and in a group of story nerds, probably would. But but anyway, uh, that's the point, right? Is is just kind of being intentional not to not to let it waste your time. I don't think there's anything. Maybe it's a willpower thing. I don't know. But I'd say whether you're a fiction or a nonfiction writer, yeah, like like you should be intentional about your time producing. And now, okay, this this seems maybe a silly question for you, but uh, so for me, I schedule things. I schedule everything like I, I one of the things I'm thinking about lately is uh, it's very important to actually to, to have time to think. And there are people who even talk about scheduling time to think. Uh, would it be silly or like, have you ever done it or whatever to like schedule time to read fiction or because here's my problem is my, my problem is when I come up on an empty slot of time in that moment, I now have to decide what I'm going to do. And the easier thing on a whim is always to read what somebody else did. Consuming is always easier than producing. You know, this is why you don't get bored and say, oh, I think I'll make a YouTube video. No, you get yeah. bored and you you say, oh, I think I'll go to YouTube and watch something that somebody else made. Yeah. Um, so is there a way to, is I don't know, is there a way to do this to be more intentional about that? I mean, do, do you think it's silly to schedule reading time? I don't know.
1: Thoughts? So um, I it's funny because I was actually, seriously, after this, going to talk to you exactly about about this, also, yeah, bit. yeah. So, yeah, so take it. Um, uh, I will take it away. So, um, Steve and I kind of we have kind of slacked off last week or so, but Steve and I are kind of each other's um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's an easy word, um, accountability, accounta- accountability partner. So, yeah, um, so really just to kind of keep track of our time, make sure we're doing things we're supposed to do, um. And so what I was going to do after this, and I so will is, um, kind of send uh, my new job now really allows a lot of consistency with my time schedule. Um, and so I'm able to really schedule out layouts of when I want to work on my video game and work on my book, which is very helpful. And so I was going to share with Steve my schedule afterwards. And maybe sometimes I can, we can put, you know, view it on here on the screen. And once these videos go to YouTube, people can see just as an example, but I actually do schedule out each specific hour, including. Um, reading and when I play video games, um, so, oh, wow, and, and it's twofold. The, the first thing, which I actually think helps the most is it, it limits me. So I don't go over those times because video games can get very addicting. Reading a story can get very addicting. So I make sure that one, I do not go above those limits and two, I make it so that I still do have those, those times. So if I scheduled every single, you know, way I guess you can call free hour of my time making my video game or writing my book then that would leave no room for me to actually enjoy playing a video game and getting inspiration from it and so it's uh yeah it's a it's twofold so yes i definitely do schedule time for that specifically interesting interesting
0: okay yeah good that's helpful to know i mean i i feel like i would i'm definitely not doing that now right i i you know for me i tend to because i do audiobooks and stuff like that i tend to relegate my time um reading or engage you know engaging with things like that to yep. time in the car or or whatever and and then it's it's really hard to make the choice to do the fiction thing instead of the non-fiction thing i don't know um cuz it feels like a time waster so i i need to yeah i mean that's kind of the whole point right is if it's not actually a time waster then i need to stop looking at it as a time waster so maybe, <laughs> right, this, whole, yeah. maybe this whole episode is a um <laughs> is a sort of intervention for me now so another thing that i'm uh that i find struggling or that i str- find myself struggling with here is everything that i do i mean really the right way to say it is i want to turn it into a business um but but there's a temptation for me to make it academic um like so for example right we're, we do this podcast we're into you know we're we're getting we're talking about fiction stuff or whatever well you know part of my time Consuming now when I'm randomly like maybe I'm eating eating dinner or eating lunch or something like that and I have a few minutes that I don't need to think about work necessarily and so I pull up YouTube and I want to watch a video or something. Well, sometimes I find myself watching Brandon Sanderson lectures. So rather than like just enjoying a book, letting my mind get lost and wondering about you know whatever, what I'm finding is I'm I'm engaging with other people who are talking about how they write books um, for. I mean, I want to say for no reason, you know, it's maybe not for no reason, right? I do want to understand more about it. I do want to see how it applies to marketing. I do eventually want to write fiction, you know, of my own one day, but that's way down the road likely. And so uh, my problem is learning just to enjoy a story or to take time to enjoy a story for its own sake and and not make it something that's a total academic exercise. And, oh, I need to learn all the intricacies about it and the bits and pieces. You know, sometimes I, I... you know i feel like we should just want to be entertained and and not educated and i don't know that that's something that i struggle with i don't know if you have any of that but but i struggle with it big time
1: yeah no i'm glad you brought that up and that's something where i've tried to again it's just it's just trying to focus on what you need to do and limiting taking out the fat so i would yeah same thing now there are some things i really do have to like for instance like a tutorial or something on a specific programming feature I want to do for my game. I literally have to learn it. But like what you said, a lot of times we'll listen to a lecture. Like when I listen to Sanderson, I'll get that kind of dopamine high where I'm, I'm excited because of what he's succeeded in. And I kind of self motivate myself like, wow, like that could be me. And then it goes nowhere. Cause I'm watching Sanderson still. And so really exactly. just trying to limit your time at some point you have to cut out 90 percent of that I yeah just, I just whipped that number out of the, the air but you have to cut out the time where you want to learn to perfect your knowledge on it and just do it and that is hard for me and I, I'm finally starting to transition into that
0: that's good yeah I mean for me I always you know I mean that I always miss the quote up but the quote is something like thoughts disentangle themselves passing through your lips and through pencil tips um mm-hmm. Point being, much of your learning is not actually spent uh, watching or reading or whatever from somebody else. Uh, it's actually, you learn by doing. And this is true for most people. And so that's the irony is, is it's almost, yeah, right. we're almost tricking ourselves into thinking we're learning something by consuming and watching. Um, versus, And that's almost the, the deadly, like, Sickness, you know, almost, yeah. Almost right. almost the disease that I have is I'm being entertained by knowledge, right? I'm being entertained yes. by this faux perception of learning yes. instead of doing the hard work to actually learn, which is to do. Yes. Now, what do we do about this? Again, I don't know. I'm just I'm just saying this is this is where I'm at, and, and I really, you know, I feel like overcoming this would make a huge step towards my ability to produce. Consistently. And I mean, I'm always intrigued by people. You know, I mean, it's like if you write, I don't, you know, God, what's the math? Like if you write 500 words a day, that is, that is one, <laughs> that is 182,500 words if I just did that math correctly a year. Okay. That's right. That's like, that's like two good size nonfiction business books by 500 words a day and me i almost find it hard if i start writing at all i mean if i write 20 words it's almost easier for me to write a thousand than it is just 500 like if i get started i you know i can write a thousand words no problem so i could double that right so i could write the if i if i had a consistent writing habit of whatever it was of actually writing words to the tune of 500 a day or a thousand a day whatever you know i could i could write two to four full-length business books over the course of a year. Pretty crazy. That,
1: that, that's all think it think is, just consistency, and that's with everything, and that's what we should remind ourselves of the most is just yes. consistent. Even if it's for an hour a day, seriously, an hour a day will get you a book a year. It yeah. really will.
0: Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Mm. So Anyway,
1: anyway, anyway so, yeah. Steve, you have some more stuff on your list. Um, let's go yeah. through that.
0: Yeah, okay, sure. Sounds good. So, there's uh, let's see how do I want to say this so there does seem to to be a correlation between successful people and non fiction readers. Now I think fiction can definitely make you more creative. it can arguably spark ideas uh that non fiction could not but um w- what I'm getting at here is this mindset of the fact that I think some people really do spend too much time reading fiction um and and I, I do wonder if. It's like uh, Dave Ramsey. Okay, I'm a big Dave Ramsey fan, and whenever he has people, Dave Ramsey for anybody who doesn't know, big you know financial guru, you know conservative Christian biblical principles of handling money, et cetera, Third largest privately owned radio show in the world. I guess technically the second largest if you factor in that Rush Limbaugh has passed away. But uh, I know he was he was um, one of the top three, um, and and so he ta- he whenever he do- he does he's what he calls uh um baby, what is it? The baby steps, whenever they um oh, debt free scream. Okay. Whenever somebody actually like pays off all of their consumer debt, you know, and they can apply to actually go and be on his radio show and, and be a part of what they call their debt free um scream segment. So sometimes when that's going on, and then also sometimes when they do what he calls millionaire theme hours. So he'll he'll take an hour of his of his daily show and he'll have somebody uh, he'll have callers call in who have achieved a um, million dollar net worth, and one of the questions that he likes to ask in this case is, "How many nonfiction books do you read in a year?" And again, wealth is not a moral good. Um, you know, money is money is very much amoral. You know, if you're a crappy person who, when you're poor, you're probably going to be a crappy person when you're rich. And if you're a great person when you're poor, probably going to be a great person when you're rich. You know, th- those sorts of things tend not to change with money although money can change some people um and, and so in in those groups though it's always interesting how the people who really seem to have you know quote unquote made it at least by any worldly standard also happen to be non-fiction readers and um you a lot of people who don't who aren't you know successful by that standard in the real world um are not nonfiction readers, right? They they maybe are people who who read fiction only to enjoy it or or whatever. And, and you know, I will say, you know, it's easy to say there's nothing wrong with that, and I'm, I want to be able to say there's nothing wrong with that, except how many of those people, I mean, I've met them, you know, how many of those people do you know who also complain because the little man can't get ahead? Um, they don't have enough money to make ends meet. Their job doesn't pay them enough. Their bosses treat them like crap. Um, all I'm trying to say is there seems to be a victim mentality thing. And so, again, we're talking about fiction. Is it a time waster or is it beneficial? Well, uh, if, if fiction keeps you from reading nonfiction that can help you develop and help you learn from others and, and become sort of a conduit of, of others' knowledge, because reading does produce knowledge, um, then I think it may be a bit of a time waster, especially if you're blaming somebody else that you can't get ahead or, or you're blaming somebody else for your circumstances. Um, And that may seem, I mean, I, you know, again, I live in America, I own a business, I mean, I get to say this from a kind of privileged position, and I I want to make everyone aware that I get that. I I totally understand that. And yet, um, people have been reading books, nonfiction books for 1000s upon 1000s of years, you know, you can go to a library, you can get a free library card, like, at this point, there's really no excuse for you not to be a reader, um, almost no matter where you are. Um, You know, I mean, again, at least in America, okay, we're most of our audience. 96.17% Ninety-six like 96.17% to be specific, <laughs> uh, currently, uh, is in the United States. Okay, and so in talking to people in the United States, it's like, yeah, if you live in the United States, you pretty much have access to nonfiction books. Okay, and, and so this is about fiction, but if you're a person who reads fiction all the time, but you're complaining because you can't get ahead in your life, maybe you should take a little break from that and, and also work in some nonfiction and see what others have to say about, again, living and working in the real world because there does tend to be a a correlation there. So what I'm not saying is that people who read only fiction are unsuccessful. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying there's an undeniable um, connection between being a person who reads nonfiction and what most people think of as you know being a success um, in life and business and work and things like that. And so that's at least something to think about.
1: Well, it's kind of, I guess it's kind of the, I can make the comparison. I, you can tell me if the comparison is wrong, but I think it's a good one where men and women, at least in their behaviors are generally speaking, um, pretty much the same as far as, you know, we we react happily when something good happens, we react angry when something, you know, upsets us and generally speaking, it's all the same, but at the outer layers, You have mostly men in prison for violence because men tend to be the largest aggressors and that's where it starts to stick out is at those extremes. So if you take, again, it's a spectrum. If you take the top 10% of people who all they do is read fiction, chances are, um, they're gonna be people who by our standards are not gonna be as successful as maybe the 10% who all they do is read nonfiction to learn. know does that make sense so there's definitely (laughs) that spectrum so i i would say as a whole i do agree with you looking at that spectrum range Yeah. um very
0: cool very cool
1: so i guess i'll i'll go ahead and uh kind of finish up what i had thought so i started off on a bummer with saying kind of led into this whole ordeal about why reading fiction sucks (laughs) no and uh um i'm gonna go to really uh so my benefits um I kind of have um yeah three really kind of main points where I think that fiction is um very beneficial um the first one is kind of more I think geared towards someone like you Steve it applies to everyone but um so the first one I have is stretching your imagination and I think that applies to Again, I guess kind of focusing on this one, people who wouldn't necessarily consider themselves, you know, a fiction, a fiction person who, you know, dives into books or loves like fantasy movies, but someone who, uh, like you, Steve, where, um, if you're trying to think of maybe reading a fiction book might spark some type of interesting, uh, like character to use for like marketing or an angle to, uh, persuade someone into something. So just being able to read a wide variety or watch something that, um, it's fiction and kind of stirs your imagination and gets you invested in the characters can really just kind of, um, help stretch what you can envision for yourself. And I guess you could say the real world. And another example that I think is great that a lot of people overlook is, is comedy think about comedians uh-huh. where, um, you know, a lot of times, at least most of good comedians will get up and they'll like tell stories about something that happened in their life or their mother, or when they were this and get you all roaring where, um, it really most of those stories are either one half truths or two just totally made up, but they tell the story as if it happened to them. and. think how imaginative it is to be able to come up with an idea, say if something really did happen to them, but they think, man, if I could stretch it this way and get the audience to think about this funny thing happening, I could really get a roar out of them. And so um just uh uh, um I guess that kind of falls lightly into the line of fiction, but anything that, you know, um is kind of made up or make believe for to create for someone um an enjoyment out of can just really help with um, creativity and imagination in that regard. Um, yeah, yeah, so that's kind of my first point there.
0: Yeah, I like that. Um, uh, Ravi Zacharias, um, used to talk about this idea of, of not losing your sense of wonder. Mm. Uh, there's others who talked about this as well. Um, but, but basically the idea being when you, when you age, you, you sort of lose your, uh, imagination more because it becomes more like uh, gosh I wish I could remember the exact the exact example but he gives a very specific example and I believe it's his book can man live without god I believe is the title of it and he gives this very specific example that I'm not even going to try to like really go into because I'll butcher it but but it's basically he took a scenario and explained the reaction of like he had a young a very young kid and then like a you know like probably six to six to nine somewhere in their range year old kid and then like a teenager and he had each of them sort of give their thoughts on the thing and and they were sort of progressively more pessimistic if you will uh about what what the thing could be and it's like very clearly the youngest had the had the wildest imagination about you know what it could be and it was uh I mean, it was stark, frankly, and clear that it's not. I mean, yes, the the person who is older and more educated and able to make more philosophical distinctions that, you know, that that child, that teenager whatever was definitely looking at the more objectively true thing, right, was looking at the more real thing. Uh, But were they necessarily better off? You know, I, I don't know. And so there's this delicate balance, especially when we look to things like, you know, like you and I both being Christians and things like that. For example, you know, the, the book that I'm talking about was in the context of of God, right? And so while on the one hand, we want to have answers, we want to have evidence, we want to have logic, we want our stuff to be supported by facts and, and this, that, and the other thing. At the same time, there's a beautiful mystery to be a human and trying to interact with the, you know, divine. And I mean, not to get like too mystical here or anything, but like, you know, the idea being that you really need to keep the sense of wonder alive because that sense of wonder and that sense of magic or whatever that we sadly like lose as, as we get older is still something that we could very much benefit from in our daily lives. And so uh, I just wanted to underscore that with stretching your imagination. I think that that is an important thing. And I think that that is one of the main benefits of fiction.
1: Well, well said. And it really, it leads 100% directly to my second point. Which is again a kind of serious tone, but um fiction helps you relate to your children. Um and yeah. And I, I'm saying this not like looking down my nose at people, but I know that a lot of parents do struggle with relating to their kids, especially younger kids, or if there's a if you have children a little bit later in life, like what Steve is saying, the older you get, the kind of more objective and I wouldn't say cold, but just more kind of straightforward looking you are. Rather than, you know, kind of head in the clouds and with that kind of mindset. So, uh, I, I mean, I just think a great example that I've used before is when I was, you know, seven years old, my stepdad would listen to the Hobbit dramatic cassette tapes with me and my stepbrother. And obviously I knew he liked it because he was always in the Lord of the Rings, but I know that me and my stepbrother enjoyed it so much more because we were kids and it was so exciting. Yeah. And I, he related, my stepdad was able to relate to us and form those bonds with us so much more better than if he came home and tried to describe his job of vibration analysis testing on machines at a paper mill, mm. you know. And so, even That's though, so even though Lord of the Rings, it really, when it comes down to it, is a silly thing that none of it's real. It doesn't, you know, it's it's whatever in the end. But that forms so much of our conversations and being able to bond and talk about cool stuff and just led to other, more natural conversations and more creative stuff, like building Legos that were maybe something about Lord of the rings. And it just opens up the door for so many things and kids actually are just imaginative. Um, And so if you open the door for even just a little bit of that fiction in your life, that, uh, that imagination um, man really just opens up the door to really get into your kid's heart. Um, to be quite honest um and they man that really um you know if you so that's one thing I've always tried to really hope is I never lose sight of what it was like as a kid experiencing those things because I know that you know heavy's going through the same thing what I did as a kid and so does every kid and they just want to have fun and so having fun with them requires you to kind of open up a bit there
0: man that's a really good it's a really strong insight and probably one that i i need to personally take to heart you know because it's i do i I do have difficulty relating to my kids and uh he he yeah you know what i was just thinking what's interesting is the things it's actually really selfish of me um the things that i most relate to them about are definitely related to fiction. But I find I'm only interested <laughs> to really engage with them on those things which in my own childhood I was fascinated by mm. and drawn to. Right. So for example, Power Rangers. My kids love Power Rangers. I have no problem carrying on a conversation about the world of Power Rangers <laughs> with 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 my with my kids. But like outside of that and maybe one or two other little things, I very much Like, take a—I don't want to say—you know—pessimistic or like downer approach, but it's almost that. You know, it's just like, eh, that's fake. Like, stop. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just because because I do spend so much of my time in the quote-unquote real world, right? Hmm. Whether we're talking about the world of business or the world of you know um, apologetics and theology, things like that. You know, I do. I, I feel you know philosophy. I mean, I spend a lot of time thinking about what is real. And um, I always want to be so careful to make the distinction between what is real and what is fake because we live in a world where, man, those – and just in many ways that we're not going to yeah. get into now. But those those lines are, are tough, right, and blurry for some people. And so I definitely want to – I definitely want to, definitely like, keep a hard distinction there between those two, yeah. between what is real and what is not real as my kids get older. Um, at the same time, you are entirely right that there is a level of relating to your kids and understanding your kid's heart that you will never really be able to achieve unless you in a sense, humble yourself and allow you to become part of that magic, you know, become part of that world. And so, yeah, I needed, I needed that lesson. So
1: that's good. Good, good stuff. Um, All right. yeah, next? Um, yeah. Moving to my final one. Um, and then I'll kick the ball over to you, but this last one is kind of my personal like favorite, I guess, what keeps me invested in fiction and why I love it so much. And that's because you can experience the impossible. And I, I guess what I mean by experience is like really almost, almost (laughs) people use the word literally too much, almost quite literally, um, put yourself in a position and truly almost be able to experience what that fictional story or location or setting wants you to feel so. Um, fiction allows you to experience things that are literally impossible. It seem very, very real. Uh, one example, and maybe you've never experienced this. I know that I have, and I know that other people have, um, but I, anytime I am invested in a show, um, I guess a nonfiction show or reality TV show, but I'm talking about fiction shows as most shows are, um, sometimes a movie, but it's mostly a long series or a book. And then like a long show, um, when you get to the end of it and you watch the final episode, you almost feel like really sad or bummed out because like those characters are gone and they're done. And I don't think it's just, it's more than just you're upset that there's no more episodes. It's you're upset that there's, the characters' stories don't go on, that their lives are just ended. It, and it it seems wrong and kind of really sad in a way. And I think there's a reason for that. It's because those characters are, don't just seem real, but they are real to you. They exist in your head in this, you know, own little world. And you were able to, speaking of like a show, you were able to view them and relate to them and, and to you, like those characters are real. And so when something like that ends that you really feel it, um, yeah, it, it and I kind of just, just wrote this down, but if none of it is real, why do we feel that way? And it's because, especially, and we've talked about this before. But fiction, when it's grounded in reality, which I think it makes for it the best kind of fiction, um, it, it does it does kind of create its own reality in a way. A great example we come to this all the time, but it's so great is Doom, where none of that—I uh, mean, like n- none of that exists—the uh, the planets, the technology, um, just the kind of—I guess you can say, for lack of a better word—the magic system in it just none of it is real but man probably more so than almost any other fiction fantasy or sci-fi that I read that seems like so real the world and the and everything that is in it and so yeah being able to read um, fictional stories or watch fictional shows that are that well told helps us to experience relationships places and go on adventures that we would never been able to go to, and so um, again, how does that benefit life in the end? I don't know, but just for me personally, as an ex- looking at it from an experience point of view, um, it's just a just an awesome thing that a story that is not real can be real to you, and it's just such a cool thing.
0: Man, I love that. I'll, I'll be honest. To me, it brings me all the way back around to the first couple episodes that we recorded there it's it's just it is a it is it is no for 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 c.s you know c.s lewis and tolkien you know i mean not to totally rehash this again but but you know lewis was lewis was not persuaded to christianity through arguments and evidence and facts and data with things like that even though The irony is, is that he actually became, in case you don't know, a ardent, um, you know, sort of philosopher and apologist. I mean, he wrote one of the absolute best books on the subject called Mere Christianity. Maybe you don't know that, Um, but he did. And but that's not why he became a Christian. He became a Christian ultimately because uh, Tolkien was able to sort of persuade him of this idea that Christianity was the myth that was true. Um, it was the true myth it was it was the one that it had all the elements of 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 imagination, of wonder of of, of something that that really felt like uh, like one of his quotes um says if i if I'm going to yeah. not get it exact, but i'm I'm getting the the gist of it here is if I find in myself something that finds me longing for yeah. um for another world, then you know it could be that i was made for another world or it seems logical mm-hmm. then yeah. the the only logical explanation is that i was made for another world and so in lewis i mean i think it's very clear in his writing and everything that that he he sort of felt this longing and this desire and so yeah i mean the, the whole idea being that you say experience the impossible for example you know that that's kind of how you framed the yeah. last thing and i think i think i think part of the reason why that's so powerful for a human being is precisely because um, what what feels like is impossible is actually possible um, in in the sense that most most people are how do I want to put this most people are very fact you know they they live in the world or at least they think they live in the world of of facts and data even if they're wrong like about those facts and data they at least think that they're living in that sort of grounded uh, real world uh, when in reality all of the all of the media that they consume is media that talks about a world that is greater or, or beyond the natural, the physicalistic, mm-hmm. you know, why is everybody obsessed with MCU movies? Right. Why is everybody yeah. obsessed when, you know, when, when the new star Wars comes out or, or, or whatever it it talks about, right. You, you. What, and it, so what most people don't realize is that the real world is a whole lot more like these fictional worlds than yeah. we're often led to believe. And that's exactly what Lewis understood. Um, and what ultimately persuaded him to believe in Christianity again to tie up that thread uh, because he saw in it the mythical elements the mythos that seemed to resonate with the longing and desire of the human heart while at the same time was able to look at, at at the ground at the grounding of the facts of history and 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 experience you know that this was a true you know it was a true story that happened um and yet had those echoes of a uh, of a world that was a lot more exciting than what most people think it is, and so that's what ultimately persuaded Lewis. And uh, I think could, I think that sort of thing, if you know, if we talked about it more, could also be used to persuade a lot of people. Uh, there's actually a book. I'll go ahead and, um, uh, uh, what am I looking for promote that? Um, um, point you to it. I don't know. There's a new book by Frank, by Frank Turek. Um, i think called i think it's called hollywood heroes uh hmm. i think is the name of the book yeah I think so. a brand, brand new book and it basically just talks about how um i mean not in you know i'm just to kind of summarize it it basically talks about how you know all your ideas in hollywood are just kind of really stolen from the jesus story right how jesus right. is really the true superhero that the others are uh are merely a you know sort of an echo or a shadow of so anyway i just thought that was a very very interesting um thing that you said there and i think there's the next level to take it to is yeah experience yeah. the impossible well, maybe the impossible is actually possible.
1: Lewis's uh conversion story i I think is my personal favorite. Um it just it just gets it cool. every time it, it's it the fact that he and token lived at the same time and were friends, it just it just seems right? it's just it's Isn't just it crazy. Like what an awesome amazing. thing. All right Steve, why don't you finish up off here and give us your your benefits of fiction, I know we—you probably rolled off already a lot just in conversation, but let's go through your list here.
0: Yeah, well, I, I, yeah. So I'll—I'll I'll definitely just some of the, you know, I'll, I'll roll through kind of quickly. So creativity, right? I think we kind of covered that, right? The idea of fiction that fiction makes you more creative, helps you think outside of the box. Um, it's a one of the things that I like to do. It's—it's uh, it's funny. I was actually just in a meeting today, and I wanted to like articulate this with them, but just contextually, I wasn't—you know—it wasn't really something that I had the latitude to do i'll just kind of leave it at that um but so many people are obsessed with oh what's my competitor doing you know what's my what you know what's this guy over here like, it's almost eating like back in high school where you're like i look at somebody else's paper yeah. and and what you realize when you do that is is you look at uh you and you, you end up creating something that looks a lot like what other people in your industry or whatever are doing instead of something um Entirely unique. And so, one of the guys that I, I talk about a lot, one of the, you know, Basecamp is the software that I use, and um, for, for project management, and they have another tool, an email tool called Hey. And I've always loved the color scheme in Hey, and it is not, it looks like no other piece of software that I am aware of. And it's like this, I don't want to say neon, but it's almost like this mix of a of pastel, like greens and, and purples and, and blues, and you would never expect this out of a software. Pro- I mean, if you look at any other software product, you're not going to get this kind of inspiration. And why is that? Well, it's because when these guys look for inspiration, they literally don't look at what their competitors are doing at all. Mm. They study nature, um, and they and and it's like Jason, uh, the the CEO, you know, just kind of asked himself, like, you know, why do these why why do these why does this particular like green purple blue like, why does it just look so stinking awesome together? Mm. And you never would have thought to do so, but he saw it probably in a flower or something, puts it in this product, and it looks insane, like pay.com. Cool. Go check it out. Um, hey.com. I mean, and you'll see the colors right there and everything. And it's just like. H-E-Y? H-E-Y. Yeah. Hey.com. They, they spent a lot of money on that domain. Um, and, and it's just like, it's such a cool color co- combination that you would never learn from like looking at a piece of software. What's my point? Well, my point is, is that as helpful as nonfiction is and uh, learning about what others in your industry are doing, et cetera, a lot of times you can find ideas by looking at other industries in the real world or, I mean, again, even even getting ideas and things from fiction, uh, things that you can apply to what you do. So as awesome. you're working in the real world, a measured dose of fiction, I think can help make you more creative. Hmm. Um, attention to detail
1: is another that's a, is another. That's thing. a great one. That's a good one, Steve. Uh,
0: yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think that fiction teaches you to pay attention. Um, mm. Michael Heiser, one of my favorite uh, theologians, he um right, he's very much in this vein of especially the, the su- sort of subject matter that he covers, um, is what's the best way to put it? Uh, basically, there's a lot more to the Bible than most people learn in Sunday school. Yeah. Um, a lot more to the biblical worldview, especially the spiritual dynamics of the biblical worldview. And uh, and I feel it's worth noting that uh, I mean he's not a crackpot, right? I mean he's a he's a celebrated scholar, um, and uh and, and many other scholars you know sort of verify or you know that they they also promote his work um in other words he's you know by all accounts he's right um in in sort of the stuff that he says even though it would sound surprising to uh many who grew up uh in the in the church uh, in the last you know 50 60 plus years and what he says uh really shocks people when he's talking about this sort of stuff for the first time uh, mm-hmm. with the audiences he'll say that most people read Bi- read the bible uh, like a nonfiction, like a didactic, like historical account, and obviously there are portions of the Bible that are meant to be read, you know, meant to be read that way. Uh, but what people really don't realize is that the way that writing uh, happened back then is a lot more like uh, how fiction writers mm. write today, in the sense that the writers are trying to do something to you. Okay, so when you read fiction. You sort of you sort of come with the assumption with with the worldview in mind that something is happening to you while you read. Like you sort of know you're being manipulated, you're being drawn into certain places, you're being drawn away from certain places. Your attention is being intentionally um, messed around with. Um, he says that we should we should read the Bible, for example, that way, um, be because of the kind of writing that it was. There, the same sort of thing is happening. So, what's my point? Well, my point is that. Fiction writing can actually teach you to pay attention to detail uh, because because they are trying to manipulate you, you know, because <laughs> yeah. they are trying to draw your attention away from some things and toward other things. And and they're trying to, you know, we talk about show, don't tell, right? The, the cardinal rule or whatever of writing, show, don't tell. Um, that, just doing that, I mean, I don't even know how to do it. And I, and I know that that requires <laughs> an intense level of intentionality um, and concentration. To be able to to like show you something without telling you something. And that – the writers just have to pay attention to detail to do that. And so that is something that you can pick up and, and learn from them. Mm-hmm. Imagination, we covered in depth. So that's that's cool. Yeah. Uh, draw, drive. Uh, drive is related to imagination. Uh, but by drive, I specifically mean like I, I think – I mean how many – I mean – you can't tell me that Elon Musk is not somewhat motivated by science fiction, right? I mean, mm. like, there's no way that, I mean, yeah, like, I'm, you know, he's dealing with science reality, of course. Um, but, like, how many, I mean, how many people dream of going to the stars based on what they've read on, in, you know, or, or watched or whatever in science fiction? I mean, it's like, uh, Star Trek, you know, fake, uh, whatever, fiction, prophecy, whatever you want to call it. Um I don't know, in some weird sense, Star Trek gives me drive. You know, it gives me a drive for exploration. It, you know, when I see the when I see the um the 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 uh the beginning credits or whatever the opening credits or whatever you call it, uh where the theme song plays for Star Trek Enterprise, I'm like, frick yeah, like I wanna be an <laughs> astronaut. Like, you know what I mean? Like it gives
1: me I wanna die on Mars.
0: I wanna die on Mars, yeah. So I think that's an element. Um and then sort of the last one that I mentioned, I'm sure there's others, but the last one that I thought of, um, before we were prepping here or while we were prepping was reflection upon reality, reflection upon reality. And w- what I mean by that is kind of like what I was talking about with the, uh, the myth that is true, uh, stuff is that when you're reading fiction there, uh, it would be a mistake to think of fiction as, and we talked about this a little bit before, but it'd be a mistake to think of fiction as fake. Um, because fiction is real. Um, and you even mentioned this earlier, I think, right fiction fiction is it's, it's real, but it's but it's not. Right? <laughs> so yeah. it's not yeah. in in that sense, right it, it is a it is a real fiction and and because of that, fiction often tells true stories. Um, maybe I can use this analogy. It, it has a it's using the vehicle of a fake story that is carrying the cargo of a real story mm, so fiction yeah so fiction is a fi- and, and to give credit where it's due um i actually stole that analogy from a um, from a, a scholar named um i forget what his name is anyway um it's i great. stole it from i stole it from him yeah yeah um, and uh, i don't know why his name slipped slipping my mind i stole it from him uh because i actually like it's funny as i actually disagree uh, i agree with him but he's criticizing somebody else using that analogy and i i agree, i agree with with his criticism of it yeah. but i do think it's an apt analogy for what we're talking about yeah. here um i think fiction and, and actually because it's in that apt analogy here i disagree with it in the other context anyway whatever, <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking vaguely now but yes. the point is 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 that fiction uh teaches you an awful lot about how to be in the real world and uh i think too often not always but too often nonfiction writers tend to like tell you how they think it is and it's not that way whereas Mm -hmm. fiction writers I think a lot of times are tapping into something a lot more deep a lot more a lot more real but it's 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 a little bit more subtle like they may not even be realizing that they're doing it for example I don't think most people are writing stories about Hollywood heroes thinking oh yeah we're ripping off of Jesus and yet you know there's an entire book arguing that basically they are and, um, and and so fiction can help you reflect upon reality. And I think that's something that's very strong about it, even even though you may not realize it's happening to you.
1: Again, trying not to pee with a broad brush, but it is kind of it is kind of funny how if you see like nonfiction stuff, whether it's a newspaper article or someone trying to write a, a book about people's behavior, a lot of the times you'll you'll read it and think like, why is this person thinking that? Like, that's not true. Or people don't behave that way, even though it's a nonfiction book. but. In order to write a successful fiction story, you have to accurately depict reality. Like you have to understand how people interact well. You have to know consequences of certain reactions. And so you definitely, I would, I would say it's, it's definitely a requirement that you have to know humans and civilization and the human condition and everything in order to write good fiction
0: exactly yeah and that's and that's where ah you know not to keep coming back to this you know but i mean that's that's where it's almost like the beach ball right um so in in the in 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 the book of romans uh in the bible it talks about how you you're gonna have people who the 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 term and the terminology that's used there is suppress the truth and unrighteousness okay and and what it means is that it's kind of like a beach ball you ever go to the go to the beach or you're playing in a pool or whatever. And you try to hold a beach ball down. But, but the minute you're not thinking about holding the beach ball down and, and your hand slips off of it, what happens? The beach ball flies up to the top of the surface. And so, not to psychoanalyze people, but I think this really does happen a lot in fiction, in the, in the world of fiction writing. Um, people tap into things, the human condition, for example. You know, we're all sinners. We all need a savior. We all feel, we all feel a guilt that sometimes we can't explain. Themes like this, that uh that at least the biblical worldview has an answer to, and that many religions try to at least have some sort of answer to these sorts of things are embedded in all good stories um because we resonate with them as humans and and stories that that don't have these elements don't resonate with us as humans, and they become duds, you know they're not good stories and and this is because somebody who might who might write a nonfiction book philosophically thinking carefully you know might have his hand on the beach ball right, holding the beach ball down, but then in a moment of you know, where his guard is down and he's, he's writing fiction. He's trying to be imaginative. He's trying to think about humans actually are, um, the, the hand slips away and the beach comes flying up to the surface. And this is why, right. This is why people who, um, are not, I'll give you a great example. And then, and then we can move on to story, stories of the week. Okay. Two of my favorite Star Trek characters are active on Twitter. They're, uh, you know, they're, in real life, right? Remember, Jonathan,
1: I mean, that's gonna say, yeah. wow, that's pretty impressive, <laughs>
0: yeah, you're, right? Um, uh, yeah, Jonathan Frakes, who plays uh, Commander Riker in Star Trek, and my, I mean, it's not an exaggeration to say that my son, while it's spelled differently, is basically named after him. Um, so uh, Jonathan, yeah, Jonathan Frakes, um, and then uh, Marina uh, Sirtis. um, and she played uh, what was her name? She played uh, Princess Tr- uh, Troy? Was it Troy? D- uh, for some reason, I can't remember. Anyway, Marina Sirtis. So um, I saw this a little while ago. And I know this is not necessarily fiction, but it, it I don't know, it kind of is. So uh, it, this is going to be politically charged, what, what I'm going to say. And so I, I want you to think not in terms of like, oh, I can't believe you said that. I want you to think more in terms of logic. Okay, just, just, just think purely in terms of logic and consistency. Okay, so she says, how many children have to die before america or before americans put a child's right to life ahead of their right to own a gun i'm going to read that again very slowly how many children have to die before americans put a child's right to life ahead of their right to own a gun and jonathan Frakes retweeted that and said excellent question you know (laughs) Yeah, and question. and my immediate thought now again no secrets here I mean I'm I have views on 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 some of these issues I'm a Christian I'm conservative you know whatever you might have a different view and that's fine again I just want you to think clearly right right there right right there I would have a question for her and that question would be where do you stand on the issue of abortion and I have good reason to suspect that she is on probably the progressive liberal side of where she stands on abortion I think I have read even though I don't know for sure. Um, because number one, she talks about, she's talking about gun rights from a negative point of view, which probably means she's progressive. And she also has pronouns in her Twitter profile, which also means, uh, that she's probably progressive. And so that's two good pieces of evidence to suggest that she would probably believe in a a woman's right to choose. So when she's defending, if, if she does defend a woman's right to choose, so the right for a woman to have an abortion, um. When she's defending that right, I would say she's holding down the beach ball. Uh, But when reality sets in and she lets her hand off the beach ball, it pops up. And now she starts asking about how many how many children have to die before we talk about a child's right to life, completely ignoring that if she is a supporter of abortion, Mm -hmm. then a child dies. Many, many children die every single day and have for a very long time as a result of those exact rights. So I'm just using that as a case. Study. Again, you might disagree with me and, you know, sorry to be politically charged. I don't mean to be necessarily. I'm just saying, like, that's an issue. That's, that's kind of like what I'm talking about. Um, That sort of thing, I think, happens in fiction writing all the time, where the beach ball is being suppressed, but then in fiction, uh, the hand kind of comes off, the guard goes down, and we see how reality really is. And so uh, that kind of buttons that point up, right? Uh, fiction is definitely a reflection of reality, as you say. It's kind of a requirement. And uh, I think that makes it important for us to engage with.
1: Yeah, good point. Good discussion, Steve yeah man cold that was a good uh that was a good talk uh well yeah. longer than i thought but man that was yeah
0: good. i thought we this should have been a part put, one part
1: uh, steve and i thought that this would have been like a real quick one but we just got here it here we are this is actually turned hey, out to be one of my favorite ones i think
0: yeah i think so too i'd yeah, put it good. in like the top 23
1: 24 yeah <laughs> i reckon i would too yeah uh, i reckon so all right so <laughs> good. All right, so story of the week. Um, I'll go ahead and uh and start. Yeah, you it's go kind first. blurry there on screen for quite a bit. So um, Uh-oh. yeah, my story of the week. Um, so do you know the show This Is Us?
0: I I've never watched it. Um, I have heard of it. I think sure. my wife used to watch it. Um,
1: so oh, I'm really blurry. Um, so it's a uh, if it's not my favorite show, it's it's one of my favorite shows. Really um, interesting. Yeah. So um, I I it comes with the caveat of so. I, It's, um, a lot of shows today are very, um, you know, they plug in a lot of like, uh, just unnecessary or very obvious, like progressive kind of, um, tones to it, um, that evolve, you know, just a plethora of things, uh, this show does to a, to a certain extent, but it's a very, um, it does, it never feels like it's forced down your throat. It more or less, it just feels like natural situations that people go through in life. Um, and so, um, but this show I've watched it. I think after like the second season release, um, we started watching it and I've just been hooked ever since. And it is, um, yeah, it just combines everything from a great fictional story from the writing and specifically film, just, uh, um, just the moments that are captured for actors in certain scenes. Um, and, uh, I mean, it, this shows probably made me, uh, tear up more than than anything I've ever read or watched before. Um just a great show. But anyway, reason why I bring it up specifically is because uh the last season, I guess the last episode just premiered yesterday, I believe. And so I'm on the last season now. I still have some episodes to catch up on, but apparently, um It's, um, at least from the reviews that I've seen, um, people are just saying, like, giving it like 10 out of 10 and saying, it's just Mm -hmm. like a phenomenal ending to a phenomenal story. So I'm really excited about it. This story, what it does is they evolve a lot of, I would call, I can't think of the specific term, but flash forwards where it kind of gives you a hint of what's gonna happen. And then sometimes it'll like make you wait a whole season to like actually get back to that point and um oh, wow every time it does a flash forward it never feels like it's leaving you hanging it always makes you like feel like emotional a certain way like wow like this actually is going to happen to this character like how the heck does this come about and um it just just a phenomenal phenomenal show anyway i highly recommend it um so anyway that's that's my story of the week how many how many how the show? six and and they're, and they're yeah. done after six or supposed to be done after six interesting
0: yeah, I just saw, this is not my story of the week, but I just saw where the Orville, uh, have you ever heard of the Orville?
1: I don't think I have, man.
0: So mad, oh, oh, oh. So the, the Orville is a is a comedy that is, Seth MacFarlane is the main character, and it was oh canceled. It was canceled for a while, and I, I just saw where it's coming back in like July, uh, and I thought it was totally canceled, but apparently it's not, or, or maybe a different studio bought it. But it's basically like a farce um of star star trek yeah that's that's kind of based
1: on seth MacFarlane. uh, i assume he's like the like the ship's captain or something
0: yeah oh my goodness it's it's actually so two things so it's it's kind of based on um it has and and when i say based on i mean like at least the network where it was before um it literally they they hired the same two like producers and everything as the original not the original star trek but star trek the next generation which um oh wow for for many might as well be the original star trek i mean i can the book who's people who have never seen the original series have seen next generation it, so it's sort it of based on like, that era and i have to say it is hilarious because seth MacFarlane and, and the cast is just hilarious but like it's really a it's really a genuinely Good show, and they it's it honestly like reminds <laughs> me. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's 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 made to be that sort of quality of at least the Star Trek back then. That's interesting,
1: yeah, it has really it, good reviews, yeah. Like, it's, yeah. it's
0: actually, it's actually uh, a really good show beyond just being a farce of Star Trek, so that's made, cool. That I'll have to reminded, check it out. reminded me of that. Um, right. I do have two stories of the week, uh, hopefully, quick. Um, my actual story of the week, uh, what is um, so we talked recently, um, maybe have we have we i don't know um uh we're into the fights right we're into ufc um and uh, recently there was a really big debacle where a uh, a fighter who uh his name was charles uh du bronx oliveria Oliveira? Oliveira, Oliveira, and um brazilian dude most submissions in ufc history pretty crazy stuff and uh, just, uh, just a monster to watch. I Means the dude's like a spider that a spider that'll choke you like a bow it's constrictor. It's if you can it's imagine. It's... And um, so he actually missed weight before his last fight by 0.5 pounds So by half a pound, he missed his weight. And turns out, uh, Rogan was talking about this uh, on a on a podcast recently. So it turns out, the issue was because they're apparently um, they're sort of like. How do I put this there? There are officials who like calibrate the scale, but uh, fighters are allowed to come uh, like way on the scale. And, and because they are from like different places, like some are from Brazil, some are from United States, some are from, you know, wherever there's like different uh weights and measurements that need to be calibrated in order for the scale to be accurate and there was previously no real rules around that like people like fighters could come adjust the scale to be calibrated for what for their needs uh, in order to make sure that they were measuring themselves accurately um, and, and they could just do that and apparently what people were saying is that that calibration was off and this is why uh, Oliveira did not um, make weight and so I mean, it it seems to be a purely technical problem that happened. And I don't think anything was done retroactively. But my understanding is that there is now, as a result of this, a, the, the scale for the UFC weigh-ins is now under 24-7 guard. Um, by a paid, a pay, somebody is paid to guard the UFC scale 24-7. To make sure that folks can't just use it and and calibrate it, you know, offhandedly or whatever, um, even if they don't mean any harm. I mean, not, there, yeah. nothing intentional was happening here. I mean, there was no sabotage, as far as I know. Um, it's just something that actually that, that happened, and so now there's yeah, they actually have a guard in place to avoid.
1: Uh, as a mistakes. as a fi- as a fan of the UFC, it just makes it so much more exciting. Like there's a guard watching it now. Just I love I just any of this stuff. It's just so mm-hmm. fun. I I hope now that the no one holds the belt because Olivera, even though he won his last fight, he, he didn't, he couldn't get it. So the next fight between he and whoever else, it better be a freaking awesome one. It better Bring be real Yeah. It's got to yeah. be good. It's going to be, I, you know, it will be though.
0: It, it's oh, it will be. be. Yes. Yeah, so I'm excited already. I'm excited already about it. Yeah. So I think that's going to be a great, you know, I, I really love it. I mean, I, I, I called my wife into watching it with me the other night and I, I actually, it really didn't take much persuasion. She came in there and she was actually kind of getting into it. And, um, and she's like, so, like, what's the point, like, that they're hurt? Like, they're actually trying to hurt each other? And I was like, yeah, this is the real deal. This is real deal. This is the real is, deal. This, this is no WWE, WWE <laughs> These people, like, legitimately, like, fight. And they fight to win. And there's, like, respect. And it's, like, an actual discipline. So, it's, anyway, it's really interesting. Um, the other uh, quick one is, okay, all right, all right, all right, Alex. This is the true test. Back in the day, did you watch Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, the cartoon on Disney?
1: I will one up you. I um I played the old Chippendale video game on the NES. Um quite
0: frequently. nice. Really interesting. Have you seen the new Chippendale Rescue Rangers that is currently out?
1: I have heard about it.
0: Okay. <laughs> we watched it last night. No, I'm actually it. going to I'm actually going to maybe shock you, maybe not. I actually never really saw the original Chippendale Rescue Rangers, so I liked like some of the other shows like Tablespin and stuff. Yeah. But I never actually saw. Uh, of course, I know who Chippendale are. Don't get me wrong, but I right. never actually watched Chippendale Rescue Rangers, and so I was a little skeptical that I would really need to have a lot of context. And um, I didn't really need the context. I'm sure it would have helped, uh, but it was. I watched it on on Disney Plus last night. Chippendale Rescue Rangers, and. It is honestly, it's not one of the best movies I've seen. But as far as a comedy, I will say that it had me rolling consistently. Um, It might, okay, I might be willing to say it's actually one of the best comedies that I've seen. Now, I don't know what the critical reviews are or whatever. But I, it's also, so number one, it was just freaking hilarious. And then also, it had tons of Easter eggs. And I'm a sucker for an Easter egg. Okay? Mm-hmm. I, when I see an Easter egg in something, I'm like, oh man, it's on. I have to go watch the YouTube videos. I have to go see what everybody's saying about it tons of easter eggs um Hmm. and i thought my first comment i had to actually had to pause it because i came in there about 20 minutes late i was doing something and um i had to finish up uh you someone was working on and my wife and kids had started the movie so i got about i got there about 20 minutes late and even three minutes in of of when i started watching it i was like oh my gosh this seems really meta i'm confused so i paused it and i asked her okay what happened like what's going on here and and so i'm not going to spoil anything but like it's the, the sort of the premise of it is that it's not Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers; it's the actors, right? It's Chip and Dale, the actors. Uh,
1: ah, and, and gotcha. so and,
0: and so it's like, like again, that's cool. Chip had his CGI surgery, so it's set in the real world. It's a it's a live action film, but you have animated Dale, and then you have CGI animation, Chip. And then others across the spectrum and and it's all really it's all really meta. so the rescue Rangers is yeah. a show that these two were a part of back in the day, but they're no longer the rescue Rangers. That was just their show That's and cool. and it is actually it is it is it's actually I thought it was really I thought it was re- really well written. I thought the Easter eggs were awesome. I'm a huge Disney fan, so that was you know whatever cool. um yet it, it was it is. It is well worth a watch. It had me rolling. I thought it was really great.
1: So uh, I'll give it a try. So two thumbs up from Steve.
0: Yep. So my, my my literally the first words out of my mouth about the movie were, "This seems really meta." And then I I I googled I I googled it this morning uh, to see if there were any good reviews out or anything like that. And one of the reviews was titled "The Limits of Meta." Um mm-hmm. and so I was like oh okay cool somebody else gets it. Um so it was pretty intense. It was very intense from the meta standpoint. Um so be ready for it but that's you should cool. absolutely watch it as soon as you can. Fantastic movie so that's, that's
1: really think, cool. Have you ever seen gameplay of the old Chippendale game? No. Mm-mm. Every get a chance um I looked it up a little bit ago and uh the beat for like an NES game was uh was quite good. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Just look up uh, some gameplay of it. You might be surprised. I mean, for for an old game, um, everyone listening to should too. It's uh, playing that as a kid. It seemed kind of just unreal how fun it was. I just remember it being so good. There's a no. There's a there's a couple. Yes. Yes. Chip and Den Rescue Rangers NES. It was just I don't know. Yeah. about it that was so good.
0: Cool. I'll check it out for sure.
1: Anyway. Very good. Good, st- good stuff, right. Steve. Yeah. A couple yeah. tangents today, but all worthwhile.
0: All worthwhile. Yep, absolutely. Okay, well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Appreciate it. I'm not going to be long and drawn out here. I'm going to let you go because you've hanging around for a while. God bless. Take care. We'll see you in the next one.
1: Tell your friends.